What up, Anchor? So, I'm not going to play a uh, intro song today. I'm probably not going to play any music at all. I'm just going to talk to you. I'm going to try. I'm just going to I'm just going to talk to you. I'm not going to do anything extra. I'm not going to do too many punch-ins. I'm going to try and just um get my shit off a little bit here cuz I'm thinking I'm going to want to switch up my approach on this podcast once again. I'm still in the experimental process of this thing. I know I'm over uh 30 episodes in, but I've taken so many turns in so many different directions and experimented with so much different shit that I'm kind of just trying to um just keep flinging shit at the wall and I'm just trying to see what sticks um I was feeling a little discouraged when I had to had some time to sit with my podcast and really listen back to a few episodes because I really haven't gotten the chance to do all that um, as long as I make my points clear and I believe what I say, I'll usually just post pretty much anything. Um, that's kind of my only criteria on what I post on this podcast because I kind of just want to uh, throw my thoughts out there and just see what resonates with people. Um, but listening back, I could probably see why I lose people's engagements. And I notice that I lose people's engagements because I can see the numbers and I can see where I maybe start off entertaining. Maybe I have a couple cool anecdotes in the beginning that might make you want to stick around and be like, all right, what's he going to get into? And then a lot of times, especially on the review-based podcast, I'll notice people start to drop off. Like if I'm doing a track-by-track breakdown, people will drop off halfway through once they realize what it is. And I could totally get that because not everyone is nerdy enough about music to want to take that deep of a dive. So um, I got to understand that. And that's just because I'm a nerd and I love reviewing music and that's what comes to come so easy to me. But that doesn't mean that should be my primary approach to a podcast. I am going to still do reviews, but I want to stick to more of a take-centric podcast, more cultural commentary and more comedic value and shit that really just made me fall in love with podcasts in the first place. And I mean, of course, when a review review is applicable, um, I'm going to do the reviews. I guess I'll just do this until I feel real passionate about a project again and I, and I want to get my shit off. So uh, if you were if you are listening to me for reviews, I am not done. I am just not going to prioritize in it for the time being. Um, so my rebrand is already off to a pretty shitty start because my thumb just slipped on the record button and now I have to punch back in while I was mid thought. But um, what I was getting to was uh, I was kind of just talking about my rebrand and why I need to switch up my approach on this podcast. And it's because it's just dangerous territory for me to take one approach too serious because I'll wake up brand new every morning wanting to talk about some whole other shit than I did the day before. Because, I mean, like, with the playoffs going on right now, I could start a whole side basketball podcast and make that shit an hour-long easy money. But we might be able – we might I might catch too much traction with that and with the sports gambling shit and run with it. And people will start to expect that from me. So I kind of have to incorporate a little bit of everything in me so that if it ever seems like I'm contradicting myself, it could be like, nah, I've been on that. So I could kind of just set it up in the way that I could really just talk about whatever the fuck I'm feeling, which 75% of the time is going to be hip-hop or hip-hop related. Um, 
Because, I mean, I could do that. I could be the social commentator. I could do the gossipy news shit and try and be the fucking funny guy. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of dynamics. I think I'm pretty tight. So um, just making sure I have a wide a wide um, approach is really important to me to really explore my versatility, man. Um, I'm obviously uh, pretty full of myself. But, um, yeah, even though as full of myself as I am, um, I did come to this conclusion that I need to do better with this podcast shit if I'm really going to keep doing it. And I'm not going to bail now. I'm 30 episodes deep. I'm just going to keep recording. I'm just going to keep stacking content until something eventually sticks. But as full of myself as I am, I could still admit that I need to be a lot better at this shit. And I need to find my voice and I need to find my approach. And, um, I'm not going to lie, I was feeling disencouraged, I was a little, I don't want to say insecure, but a little self-conscious about the way this was headed, um, until I listened to this podcast yesterday, it was um, Arian Foster had um, Joe Budden as a guest, um, and they had a conversation about podcasting, which really inspired me to um, hop back on this shit and record. Um, one of the bigger takeaways for me um, was probably their disagreement um, and their disagreement on how they choose to monetize podcasting and how they choose to approach podcasting. Uh, Arian's take to Joe was saying he he has too much pride to do this for free. So he's taking all the sponsors and running all the ads he can just trying to get the bag. And that's understandable, you know, that's like like if the bags are there, if people are willing to cut you the check, turning down the check is kind of crazy, especially when it's really not that big of a deal to have an ad or a sponsor. It's not completely distracting the listener. It's not ruining the podcast. It might be it might just make things a little more uh, gimmicky, a little more industry to certain people. But the average person's really going to expect that. I mean, we've we've grown up just being exposed to so much ads that we're almost numb to it as consumers of content. But Joe's theory is on the total opposite. He wants to build the brand. Joe has been running a sponsor and ad-free podcast for three years, and it puts up millions of listens. He could easily be raking in money off of this podcast over the last three years but his angle is that by the more support he gathers the more power and the more leverage he gets in in negotiation situations so cyclically he will get the bigger bag once a company or brand finally gives in and decides it's worth to cut him the major check not just the little sponsored check not the youtube ad check but he's talking about the bag now arian and joe are both in different positions because neither of them necessarily need this podcast money. It's just another venture for them, uh, especially for a for a four time NFL Pro Bowler like Arian Foster and a well established rapper and media personality like Joe Budden, um, who just signed another deal for a TV show. So they're all right without this with without this um, major podcast money. Um, both are both are in situations where um, they have a following that they can work with. And they're just they're just taking two different approaches with that following. Arian Foster is taking kind of what I call the Nipsey hustle approach, uh, which if you don't really know what I'm talking about, Nipsey does the whole thing where he doesn't sell as many albums as most guys, but he has a, a more strong core following than most guys that are and their core following is willing to pay one hundred dollars for a mixtape. 
so he doesn't need to sell nearly as much as anyone else to bring in the same revenue. It's like we don't we don't need to get set on these price points. We don't need to get set on on blueprints of this is the way this goes, this is the way this goes because price points are going to be different. It's you're only worth as much as your consumer is willing to pay. Um so Arian is doing that where he's trying trying to monetize that smaller core audience and make them into more profitable consumers by clicking on his sponsors and his ads and buying his merch. Joe is trying to get the masses, dominate the landscape, be the voice of hip-hop, and get the bag when it's applicable and he's ready to be on absolute top. It's ambitious, but Joe is confident in his leverage. So um, I guess since nobody has really made the exact blueprint on how we should navigate this very new medium of entertainment, we are the pioneers. And we have to identify what, what what the way to go is. And there seems to be many different methods that work in different ways. And it really seems to be running so far on a case-by-case basis. It depends on your demographic. It depends on what your following already is. It depends on how many ventures you already have in place, how many bags you have aligned. Um, so I guess I'm I'm just asking you which approach do you think is more appropriate appropriate for either your personal case or someone you're a fan of or do you think that there's one set way that this is how you should do it? Um, if you don't want to release your gems, that's fine. But um, hit me up, call into my station. Uh, just let me know how you feel about the whole thing, how we should approach monetizing this whole podcast thing. Uh, And what are some other methods outside of ads and sponsors and just uh, plugging your other ventures that you think of that um, we could use to monetize things? Because, yeah, I want you to call into my joint because I'm trying to get my engagement up, man. I'm trying to I'm trying to think more on um, on getting out here with this shit. So. So following the inspiration that I got from Arian Foster and Joe's combo, I was um, I was really kind of having like a powwow with myself. I was really kind of just um just a little motivated, just real energetic, real just like in this kind of bag that I get in where I'm just, my my mind's racing and I'm thinking of a lot of shit at once. I'm watching Nipsey Hussle documentaries where he's talking about the commodity of music and his brand and engagement and all this really cool street-minded businessman shit that makes me feel like I know what I'm talking about. So I got to fucking thinking. And my mind jumped around from all different types of investments and shit. And then who knows? I, I don't know how I got here, but I had this kind of Jimmy Neutron brain blast kind of moment where I found myself. One thing led to another, and I'm on royaltyexchange.com. For those of you who don't know what Royalty Exchange is, I will read their about page as soon as I pull it up to avoid a terrible explanation and probably stuttering. Okay, so Royalty Exchange, about, and I quote, Artists turn to Royalty Exchange to raise money and take control of their financial future. We connect them with private investors through the world's first online marketplace for buying and selling royalties. Creators love us because we give them a powerful new way to fund their career. Investors love us because we help them generate income that's hard to beat. And our commitment to transparency and honesty ensures value for all, end quote. Now, that was a really good explanation, kind of just like a mutual benefit type of thing. Like if an artist needs money right now, if an artist is struggling, an artist needs to fund an album, an artist needs to fund studio time or a tour to kind of get their career moving forward, they can take investors' money 
for the right now and invest that in themselves because if they need it right now because it takes a while for royalties to come in. But the investor will get more money in the end assuming that the song does well and everybody wins because at the end of the day, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. If every, everything could work out for both parties easily, there's, there is an easy scenario where both parties make money. So, um, yeah, basically you're investing in music as if it's stocks. And investing in stocks is something that I've always wanted to get hip to because anything that makes me money while I can sit on my ass is fucking fire to me. But I don't really know much about technology and all this shit people are investing into. I don't really know much about cryptocurrencies. It's just all shit that there's a good chance that there's other people out there that know more than me. And that kind of terrifies me. But I know a fucking classic record. I can forecast a classic record well before not only the average person, but probably the market can determine. And with streaming equivalent sales, a classic record is going to make you a lot of money in the long run. It is going to get played forever. It is a classic record. And and this is still in the premature stages of how this royalty exchange thing works because once it gets more close to the actual stock market, we can get put in a situation where we can take the opposite approach and short sell the stock. I don't know much about stocks, but I do know what short selling a stock is, which would be, in this case, forecasting a hot record that's going to be – that's going to – get a lot of investments because it's streaming and it's probably number num, top 10 on the charts for a couple months, but you short sell the stock and throw money against the spread, you know what I mean, to try and hustle on both sides of it. So you're kind of betting against it being a classic record. So like my ear is telling me, okay, this is just a sound that is hot now. Let me let me just let me throw a little let me throw a little bag on this and say, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and say this thing's not gonna get any burn two years from now. And then go and invest in the in the record that might be a slow burner, might be cheap to buy into, but you're going to be like, hey, this thing's going to age well. And that's what the stock market's all about. And finally, I have something that I kind of I know a little bit about. And um, and I like the trajectory of the streaming, the streaming industry and that and that whole landscape. So of co- of course this is all assuming that streaming is the future of the music industry and going off strength that there will that there will be a profitable method of selling music for the for the next couple generations to actually earn money on royalties which I believe to be true. I think that the music industry is in the best place it's ever been as far as monetization once it's at least on the best trajectory that it's ever been I should say. Which um, kind of brings me to my next point. Um, this fucking guy from the New York Times, man. Um, let me let me pull up my notes so I get this guy's name and these quotes. John Caramancia. John Caramancia. We'll go with John Caramancia. That's that's how we're gonna pronounce your name, buddy. This guy is a writer for the New York Times. Um, he seems to be a well-established journalist. I looked up his picture just to kind of check to see who I'm dealing with, and he definitely doesn't look like the guy that you want commentating on hip-hop and hip-hop culture. Not to say that I look like that guy, but I definitely don't look like as much of a burger as this dude. This guy is a fucking loser. Uh, this guy looks like he just doesn't really get outside. But anyway, I'm not going to roast on him personally too much here, but I'm definitely going to tear up this article that he wrote because it's disrespectful. Now, the headline is Post Malone and Ray Shremmerd, Hip Hop Impressionist Shaping the Stream. 
And um, John starts off uh, first sentence, and I quote, Remember the album? There was, once, there was once a time when it had reliable structure and meaning, a collection of songs with a narrative arc or set of tracks that showed an artist attempting a range of themes and styles. End quote. First of all, let me start with I actually like the description of of your album. I really do. It seems like you look for mostly the same things in a really great album as I do as far as, you know, um, artists attempting a range of themes and styles, a collection of songs with a narrative arc, reliable structure. All those things are great. That We love those in albums. Um, but when you ask, remember the album, and you're talking about this type of album, yes, I absolutely do remember the album. It's pretty easy to remember it because a good three or four of them have dropped in the last two weeks or so. And his whole angle is he's boxing hip-hop into Ray Shremmerd and Post Malone. That's popular hip-hop. To him, what reaches him on the surface, I'm sure, is a lot of Ray Shremmerd and Post Malone. But you can't comment on the entire landscape of hip-hop when we got, yes, we got the Ray Shremmerd album, but we also got well-sequenced albums, well-thematic thought out stylistic albums with the narrative arc as you described from Royce to Five Nine Styles P in the same week as we got the Ray Shremmer joint. And we got a a J. Cole album that was incredibly sequenced and, inc- and and incredibly risky and the the range of styles was everything that you're looking for was all the way there with that album in the same week as we got post Malone shit. So what are you really bitching about, John? Fucking weenie. I can't believe the New York Times doesn't have their guys do a little bit more research, but let's 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 keep let's get into more quotes. He he continues to talk about what the album used to be. Okay, so that that was before streaming, and I quote, and I quote, that was before streaming though. Back when the album was the dominant consumption unit, with players, turntable, Walkman, Discman, and so on to match. End quote. All right, well he's right. Albums were more a dominant consumption unit back then he's absolutely right but that was when people were buying full records full lps full albums off the strength of two hot singles that they heard on the radio and then they would get it and trash the rest of the album only spin it for those two three songs that they liked so if anything streaming is forcing artists to make more complete projects so the whole thing is streamable and and it makes it more easy to monetize and that way it puts more numbers up, as you're suggesting, as opposed to tricking the listener into buying um, filler album cuts like they used to. That used to be the trick. You can't trick people anymore. Uh, so basically all streaming is doing is cutting back on people buying music that they don't want to listen to anyway. And this guy's trying to make it sound like it's a bad thing. This is a whole old head bullshit angle. This is what you would ex- exactly the cliche bullshit that you would expect from New York Times commenting on hip hop. And it's fucking embarrassing that they can't get a guy that is more in touch with the culture to write for New York Times about hip hop. Get a guy to freelance it. Go to fucking Pitchfork or some shit if you really want a hip hop article. This is just some guy going on his own that probably has credibility up there and it's like, look, trust me. I know my shit, and they just kind of gave him a pass and let him go without him really doing his due diligence, which is fucking embarrassing. It's New York Times. Fucking, uh, he continues to go on to bot to um, 
Box Hip Hop into Post Malone and Ray Shrimmerd. He quotes, Post Malone and Ray Shrimmerd were made for this era or made by it. Post with three, 431 million first week streams, the most ever. Okay, you forgot to specify that the week before, J. Cole had like 425. He was like a little behind him. A well-sequenced album just got edged out by a little bit. Um, or it might have been the opposite way around. I forget. They, they Post Malone and J. Cole stream pretty much the exact same amount. And he's only focusing on the the album that, by in in his opinion, wasn't well sequenced or wasn't well wasn't wasn't a good album. But um, he obviously just doesn't want to either listen to J Cole, focus on J Cole, but not J Cole, Royce to Five Nine, Styles P. None of these people that made good hip hop albums in the same time frame as Ray Shrimmerd and Post Malone are are even referenced one time in this article. They're just completely ignored, and the entire genre is boxed in to these these two acts. But um, he's talking about how well Ray Shrimmerd's going to sell. Ray Shrimmerd sold like a fifty piece in the first week, so you're wrong about that. Fucking J Cole outsold Ray Shrimmerd by like ten, like ten times. Um, so yeah, I mean, he goes on for like a fucking page or two, just kind of ripping into Post Malone and Ray Shrimmer for their microwave approach to music, and he's kind of using these two artists to paint the full picture of the landscape of hip-hop, and just, once again, just the wrong people giving uh, the wrong people the wrong idea about hip-hop, and it really makes me sick to my stomach, and I just want to send out a big fuck you to John Caramancia, or I'll pronounce your name wrong on purpose to be disrespectful fuck you john caramancia uh that's that's all i really got on that all right so sports like i said anchor uh i could do a probably an hour plus on a nba playoffs podcast right now but i don't want to box myself into all that but i also i don't want to neglect sports so that when i do feel like going in it doesn't sound completely random so i'll always still try and touch base keep my updates keep my predictions on here whether it is brief or whether it is brief or extensive um as far as how this thing is playing out man a little surprised definitely surprised in the rockets at home i don't know why i'm surprised i guess i'm watching it i'm like what the fuck did i expect man i really i don't know why i expected the warriors to fall off i guess it's because of steph's injury i i don't know if i forgot or i just or i just thought that the rockets were better than this but um it's looking a little slow for them I'm still going to take them tonight because it is an absolute must win at home and it is a must win because you're not you're not coming back 0-2 going to going to Oakland that's just not going to happen. This makes it so you'll still have to win in 7 but you have home court for game 7. So that's still crucial. If you win this game, it is absolutely a series. Um as far as the East, I'm definitely not surprised in that. I'm definitely not surprised in Boston taking two at home, especially when you consider the way they've played at home and the shaky play that Cleveland has exhibited all season. Um, But does that mean that Cleveland's done for? Does that mean that the season is gone for LeBron James? Absolutely not. Boston has been relatively bad on the road in the playoffs. I think they might have won like two games on the road in the playoffs so far, two, three games. I didn't didn't look that up, but I, I, I... I think they won one or they haven't won much for shit on the road. They they've they've done all their winning at home here in the playoffs. And now they do have home court advantage for game 7 if it comes down to that. So I think that with the 2-0 lead, I'm changing my pick 
from the Cavs to the Celtics, but I have the Celtics in seven. Um, and I definitely have the Cavs winning two straight in Cleveland to go to go to Game Five back in Boston, though. Uh, for tonight, I am going to take the Rockets reluctantly. Uh, I'm also going to bet on them minus two. I like a team with a lot to prove. I like a Mike D'Antoni making adjustments. Um, I think that him and Steve Kerr are definitely in a chess match, and I like D'Antoni in that situation. Uh, Chris Paul with a lot to prove. James Harden with a lot to prove. Just strategizing around Durant, trying to contain him will be the task. If they could hold Durant to under 30 and um, keep Steph at uh, pedestrian play, get a little bit of better play out their bench, I know I'm probably asking for a lot, but the Rockets have been able to do this all year. They should be able to get this game. And if they are able to get this game, uh, I like the series going to seven. And I still like the Rockets at home. In seven, you heard it here first. I know everyone's doubting them. Everyone's like, oh man, James Harden went off and they still couldn't win. Steph Curry played bad and they still couldn't win. Well, all right, that's an easy approach to take, but you're forgetting that, you know, fucking, you got good play out of your bench. You got, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not all everyone's cracking it up to be. So Rockets in seven, Celtics in seven. And I hate to say it because the Rockets or the Warriors are going to stomp on the Celtics and I think that LeBron has a legitimate shot against either team so um we could be set gearing up for a pretty disappointing unentertaining NBA finals unfortunately and we could be and we could be at the start at the brink of a Celtics franchise once once Kyrie and Hayward come back and they they have a few situations to make in the offseason uh, Rosaire's probably gone. There's a good chance Marcus Morris is gone, but those spots will be filled with ease. Um, speaking of the offseason, uh, the lottery was last night. The Knicks got the fucking nine pick. If we get Trey Young, I am going to vomit. Um, I don't think we will because I don't think Trey Young is a good fit for Fisdale. I don't think he wants to play that style of play. I don't think he wants a chuck on his team. Uh, I think that we're going to go more the <clears throat> the wing route. I think that we need a wing. I think that we need a young wing. I think that we have enough guards that we could develop and fling at the wall. Hopefully hopefully someone steps up and decides to be the guy between Frank, Moutier, and um, Trey Burke. Someone, someone's got to step up and decide, and decide that they're a starting point guard in this league. I think that we should prioritize in a wing where we are absolutely lacking. Um, Sexton is pretty good. I won't be mad at Sexton, but I really hope we don't take Trey Young. Uh, the Suns got the first pick. I think that they should take a big, even though I think Dosnick is the best player, but I think that the Suns have fucking Bender down low. Um, the Kings the Kings will probably end up getting Dosnick since they already have Kali Stein down there. Dosnick's probably going to be a stud. Uh, the rest of the good players I have out of the draft, uh, Dayton and Bagley and uh, Bamba and all, and there, there's a lot of good bigs in this draft. And the NBA is due for a draft with a lot of good bigs. Uh, kind of change the dynamic of the league, maybe slow it down a little bit, maybe make it less three point centric. Uh, at least that's what this draft is implying. But uh, we'll see how it goes, man. We'll see how it goes.